Welcome to the Numerologist Podcast, where we bring you a very special guest every single week to help guide you on your spiritual journey, live with abundance, and inspire your soul. Hi, Numerologist community. Rose here from numerologist.com. Thank you so much for joining me once again on the Numerologist Podcast. We always love it when you join us here. Now, today I am joined once again by the fabulous numerologist, Roy. Hey, Roy, how are you? I'm doing okay. How about yourself? I'm really good. Thank you. Now, today we're going to be talking about the heart's desire number, or it's sometimes called the soul urge number. So let's dive straight in. What is the heart's desire number? Okay. Well, you know, um, a lot of people call it the soul urge, but I, I actually think the heart desire is more descriptive. And as we go on through the talk, you'll uh, see why I see it that way. See, I, I think that concerns uh, uh, of modern people, you know, today's concerns and the situations that we're in, the heart desire is a better description for it, you know, because uh, you think about it, it's like a strong, powerful, inner creative aspect of the mind, okay? And uh, this creative aspect is what actually brings things to us. It's what actually pushes things away from us. It's about what we want on a very deep and personal level. So whatever, you know, uh, they can say soul urge to uh, all they want, as far as I'm concerned, but it really is a person's heart desire. This number isn't about... um you know, imagining some kind of luminous sphere of yourself sitting above you and trying to connect it with radiation or something. It's, it's just about knowing what you want. It's becoming in tune with what it is you really want out of life. Because according to a lot of metaphysics, that's exactly what it means. But before we get started, let's start talking about the name numbers in general, because this is the first of our name number podcasts, okay? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, there are lots yeah. of questions about the name numbers, right? <laughs> yeah, oh boy. People uh, <laughs> ask about them all the time. Um, and uh, see, it's one of the most controversial topics in modern numerology, um, probably because there's so many different ways of approaching it. There are uh, uh, two different Western systems that are quite popular and even disagreements among the practitioners about exactly how to do those two. Uh, we use the one that goes straight in order with the alphabet and repeats every nine letters. But uh, a lot of people, especially like when I started learning, the first book I had was uh, Cairo's book, and he was a very famous numerologist and palmist and so on and so forth back in England around the turn of the last century. And he used the Chaldean system, which I uh, is where I learned numerology. And it's a little bit different because it copies basically the Greek alphabet, you see. But um, so the letters are out of order uh, compared to ours. But I'm not going to get into that in any in any depth today. Um, See, the main question that most people ask is what name should be used when having a numerology chart made, okay? That's a deeply personal thing. 
So let's look at some of the possibilities here. First, there's the name given at birth. Then there's the name you're most known by. There's a married name and sometimes more than one name that a person uses, more than one married name that a person uses. Um, Sometimes they're adopted names uh, that the person adopts themselves, like stage names or other legal pseudonyms in the case of writers and so on and so forth. Um, And a lot of these... Like we look at actors like Marilyn Monroe and Kirk Douglas, and uh, if you mention them by their uh, 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 birth names, and people wouldn't even know who they were. <laughs> you know, they become so identified with them. So why not? Um, so the name that a person uses is really a matter of personal choice. It's like all name numbers are about choice. As a matter of fact, uh, all newborns are identified by their parents by choice. When we change our names, we do that by a choice. Sometimes it might seem like they're forced upon us, but uh, it's actually something that we've chosen to do somewhere along the line. You know, in other words, we go through a long period of life feeling like this name doesn't suit me or this name doesn't fit me, you know. Um, And uh, uh, it's a natural power of all human beings, of course, the power of choice. But this is the first choice that we're blessed with when we're born. In other words, our parents in choosing a name for us actually transfer that power of choice to us. And that's why the name numbers are so important. Okay. Now, um, the life path numbers, you know, like the uh, personal years and so on and so forth, the life path cycles, all those things are fixed by the date of birth. You can't change that. Okay. You can do whatever you want and like or dislike whatever you want about the numbers, but these are numbers that you can't change. So um, they represent the circumstances you encounter and your kind of default responses to them. In other words, you can say there are two main factors in life. There's what you put out and what you take in. Well, the life path numbers are what you take in. You know, the nine, the name numbers drive the way you express your decisions and your choices. Um, and so when you think about the uh, 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 life path numbers, while the name numbers give you the power to choose your focus and your attitude towards things in the world, and these choices can change the circumstances and situations that you get back from the life path okay so uh, uh, this is the basic idea you know and and uh, this is what uh, this is uh, uh, the name numbers of four and what they're all about is making the right choice so you get the right feedback yeah I, th- I think that's really interesting so what you're saying here is that it's really true that the outcomes of your decisions change your personal circumstances a hundred percent true wow there's a whole school of thought that um, actually uh, came about, oh gosh, at least 200 years ago. I'm thinking maybe 300 years ago, in which people started realizing, developed this philosophy that thoughts are things, you know, and and how you think and what you think about changes your whole world. 
okay? Somebody who complains about having bad luck and blames your misfortune on the stars, numbers, family curses, or whatever is operating on a superstition-based cognitive bias, as they call it nowadays, and not self-knowledge. This is not self-knowledge. This is um, uh, conditioned information, okay, that they're processing over and over again. And they create the majority of their own misfortune due to unconscious beliefs about life and uh, illogical self-talk with themselves. They're probably uh, victims of the causative power of thought because numbers don't give misfortune or good fortune. They just act within the context of the mind that they're working with. You know, in other words, this is where the soul urge operates. It it doesn't care what the number is, but if you've got all these filters on it, you know, surrounding that part of yourself that have to do with all these um, illogical statements and uh, uh, beliefs that you've been conditioned to or have adopted from the collective unconscious and all that kind of stuff, you know, the psychological states actually you're in control, whether the fortune that comes from the numbers is good fortune or bad fortune. You see what I mean? And and it might be unfair to say that people create their own problems when every day we're affected by war, natural disasters, disease, troubles in the society, and all that kind of thing. But I'm not blaming the victim, because whatever we experience was created by us, but it was also co-created by the minds of millions and the unfathomable mind of nature, okay, and and so most people live in a cloud of thought that's formed by the influences around them or willing to accept whatever happens as normal or even good or the right thing, will of God, etc. But there's plenty of real down-to-earth scientific statistical information about this, and we can look at it in a different way, too. It's like if you study architecture and art, you know, it, it, music and drama, um, all of these things were created by the minds of someone a long time ago. The whole idea of city planning and and uh, um, everything we live in, politics, all of that, were created by the collaboration between minds for a certain purpose. And we deal with this so much. There's so much of that that influences us in our daily life, not to mention stuff like advertising, marketing, the media, and all that sort of thing, which is another collaboration of uh, minds and minds and minds. And with millions of people thinking about it, that's a lot of stuff going on in the thought world. (laughs) So I'm not blaming the victim when people are creating their own problems. I'm just saying that we do, you know, to some degree or another. And here's a question for you. Don't you feel better when things are going well for you? What would happen if you had the power to make your everyday experience totally your own? Have you been ever have you ever been able to maintain a positive emotional state when something unexpected happens and causes stuff to go wrong? Well, oh yeah, I, I suppose so. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, see, this is what happens when the heart's desire shines through all those thoughts by rallying your emotions to your personal agenda, your cause, okay? Um, uh, uh, Because the heart's desire is the causative factor. It's not like you can make all moment-to-moment experience just glowingly miraculous and happy and so on, but even a little progress in that direction brings a degree of fulfillment, and that's the work of the heart's desire, okay? When you look at a lot of the uh, 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 Eastern uh, metaphysics, they believe that the purpose of the soul is to uh, live and experience life so it can grow, you know, and you grow until you get to the point that you're uh, uh, so soulful that you don't need to reincarnate anymore. And they borrowed a lot of these kind of ideas in um, more modern new thought, you know, which comes from America, by the way, you know, reading people like Ralph Waldo Emerson or Napoleon Hill or or Neville will give you an idea of what I mean by this uh, new thought um, or self-help and inspirational literature, you'll see that they all promote the same idea, the thought directed by your deepest desires, not just thought directed at something like saying, I want this uh, matchstick to rise up into the air. But when you have thought that's directed by your deepest desires, this is the basis of creating success and happiness in your life, not following other rules about what's good or bad. You see what I mean? (laughs) In other words, it's like Napoleon Hill, Roy Herbert Jarrett, James Allen. These are all very explicit about how focusing on what you want creates thoughts that somehow have the power to make things happen. Okay? We don't know what this power is, but we have some ideas about it through things like modern discoveries like quantum physics and neuroplasticity and things of that nature that we may be um, working with the placebo effect to produce in ourselves, you know, the kind of things that, uh, uh, the kind of focus on on ways to obtain what we want and so on and so forth. Uh, uh, we don't know, okay? Um, there was a guy named Neville Goddard who lived here in America, and uh, he taught that outpicturing our desires in a very precise way will cause them to solidify into a real experience. And um, a lot of people have uh, had very serious experiences with uh, doing the kind of work he teaches. Uh, These methods, they all have the same thing. And that's knowing what your true desires are and wanting to fulfill them with a burning passion. That's what the heart's desire is. And that's how what a lot of people call manifesting, you know, works. Okay, you can't just think about something and then do nothing and watch it happen. You know, it, it just doesn't work like that. Okay, Neville, for instance, he explains that the create he explains the creative power in the most mystical way. He uh, teaches people how to shift your identity and sensations to the creative 
power within you instead of uh, being lost in the distractions of daily life. Um, Hill and the others give us practical exercises that help us know and concentrate on the deepest desires until we find them, discover them, and fulfilling it becomes something that you're willing to do no matter what it takes. Once the um, uh, mind is focused in this way, your thoughts become a channel through which the inner creative power flows. Right. Okay. So Mm -hmm. let me get this right. The soul urge is really the heart's desire. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm, absolutely. It, it's like uh, some religions and mystical teachings, like I said, believe that the uh, souls incarnate on Earth in order to grow and evolve. But numerology is secular and universal. So I like to call um, the soul's urge to have, do, and experience things of this world the heart's desire you see, uh, because that's really what it is. And sometimes, you know, it's funny, too, because when you deny your heart's desire, you lead a life of wandering in the whatever, leaving your own psychic energies uh, to stay asleep instead of becoming alive and active and energetic. Um, This is what a lot of therapy is about, Honestly, you know, a lot of people are so anxious and depressed and so on because they never allowed themselves to do what it was they really wanted to do. And chances are good that it was suppressed in them ever since they were children by their parents, you know, oh, you're going to be a doctor when you grow up, you know, sort of thing. And um, they never really got to think about anything else, especially if they had the type of personality in which they're driven to uh, please the adults around them because they know that's the easiest way to uh, escape pain or something. (laughs) But um, so striving for the fulfillment of the heart's desire awakens this power from its slumber and sets you free firmly on a path of truth that is your truth, that's truly yours, you see? Right. Okay, so let's just change up the direction a little bit and ask, why vowels? Ah, well, let's put it like this. When you calculate the soul urge, you uh, uh, do it by separating all the vowels from uh, uh, the letters in your name and adding up their numerical values. Now, that's because... In the ancient writings of many mystical traditions, they left the vowels out of written words so that uninitiated people would not be able to understand or pronounce the sacred names that they used in magic or the hidden secrets of their tradition. You see, Um, they did this because the vowels are, if you get into it, are the soul or the essence of the names and words. You can put out all the consonants in the world and people won't know what it is until they see what the vowels are in those words. Like, for instance, dog and dig. They're two completely different things, even completely different part of speech, unless the vowel defines that word, you see. Now, the ancient Hebrews and Greeks had nearly identical letter number conversion methods. You know, in other words, the way they convert letters to numbers in Kabbalah is very similar to the way that the Greeks did it. And uh, 
the Greeks wrote speeches and plays to have a maximum effect on their audiences. In other words, um, when they uh, uh, wrote a speech to give to their uh, uh, constituents in the government or something like that, they designed it by way of numerology. They had, uh, that was their version of numerology, you know, and they did it specifically to uh, bring forth these powers, you know, that uh, they believe the numbers possess. The uh, keywords found in the spells, for instance, in the summonings of the Greek and Egyptian magical papyri, uh, they were largely made up of uh, uh, vowels, since they believed that their sounds had power over the spirits who would carry out their magic form. You see, this is how important the vowel sounds are in languages. The Hebrews, for instance, remove vowels in their written messages to prevent their enemies or foolish children from invoking the secret names of God by accident. Uh, they also kept important business matters and spiritual teachings from those who did not need to know. Um, they usually did this by using words or phrases that seemed like everyday language, but were coded so that their numeric values were the same as words and phrases from the deeper aspects of their hidden teachings. They did the same thing in Sanskrit and uh, other languages as well. So, you know, it, it's it's the, the whole idea of using these vowels is really important. And that's because the vowels bring the causative factors into the words and consequently affect the words by way of numerology so that they become causative as opposed to uh, just being, you know, a, a neat curiosity that you use for encryption. Okay, so that's, that's interesting. So you're saying that numbers don't cause anything. Yeah, well, that's where I was at before you asked about the vowels, but um, I, that is what I'm saying. They borrow uh, uh, from these older traditions, even though we use a modern system of transforming the English alphabet into numbers, from what we can trace back in writings and historical records, uh, what we call the Pythagorean system uh, today gained its popularity from its use by the American uh, uh, dentist, Dr. Julius Seaton, in Atlantic City in the early 20th century. There was a big boom of mystical teaching back in those days in America. And um, it was uh, one of her disciples who uh, first called the number science, as she called it, numerology. Okay. Before then, there was a late Renaissance scholar uh, named uh, Cornelius Agrippa, Heinrich uh, Cornelius Agrippa, who used the same numbering method that we use, but in Latin. And as you know, Latin is quite a bit different from English, uh, but has a very similar alphabetical order. Now, a student of his transposed it to the English alphabet about a century later, but he was using old English alphabet, which is different from ours, you know. So it could be a work of his or Grippa's in which Dr. Seaton found the idea of numbering the alphabet from one to nine in the common order. She attributed it 
to Pythagoras, either because of, you know, the lack of historical knowledge they had in the day or because of a personal mystical experience. Because, you know, back in those days, spiritualism was quite popular in her time. A woman who was a spiritualist at one time ran for president, you know. Um, But anyway, um, what's important is that uh, this is the system we use today to convert the alphabet into uh, number equivalents, and it works pretty well. So um, I I know what you're going to ask next. (laughs) (laughs) So so what do numbers do? Okay. All right. (laughs) Okay. Millions of actions, things, and even intangible objects can be represented by numbers. We assign numbers to them. For instance, the four directions are stable no matter where you are on Earth, you know, uh, it, unless you're at the exact north or south pole, in which case every direction is whatever you want it to be, you know, which is why qualities like stability, persistence, and reliability are assigned to the number four, okay? You know the difference between a, a perfect, cube sitting on the ground and uh, um, uh, like a wheel that you can roll around. That cube is not easy to move, all right? Um, The numbers themselves do not have powers, not by themselves. They're only one way of recognizing categories of things that have similar qualities. They don't cause actions, but the purpose of an action or its effects can be seen by the number that the action, thing, or effect is most closely related to. In other words, they describe, but they don't cause. All right? Okay. Yeah, I was going to say that all this is to say that numbers are not causative in themselves. It's the creative power within you. It's the power of your thoughts words and deeds through which you express this creative power that's the cause and the things that you gain or lose by the expressions of this creative power are the effects but at the same time we can categorize these things by number you see by one number or another everything in the world absolutely so my i want to go back to the big question yeah Okay, that was which name should you use, right? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay, well, um, in my own practice and in my own studies, I've found that when a name has been changed, or if you use a shortened version of your original name, that using the full name at birth will reveal, I'm sorry, the full given name at birth will reveal hidden talents, abilities, or qualities that you may ignore, have forgotten, or might not know of. But this doesn't necessarily have a whole lot to do with your everyday life. So it doesn't mean that you need to start over using your full name at birth again. But it's well worth studying the heart's desire from that perspective, see, because the heart desire in most of us in this modern era um uh, uh is hidden from us like uh you might guess like uh if um uh, uh some kid in the middle ages some boy growing up in the middle ages was born of a rich family and he wouldn't 
and he wanted to be a knight, <laughs> you know, and he was the first born or the second born or something, the second born, yeah. And the parents made him, you know, the king or queen made him go to the uh, church to become a monk. Chances are good he'd end up being a warrior monk because there wasn't that much in the world in those days to distract us with this uh, desire to swing a sword or whatever it is you wanted to do when you were a kid. As a matter of fact, a lot of the self-help teachers tell you uh, that one of the first uh, things you should do when you're trying to find your deepest desires is to go back to when you're a child, back to your earliest remember, uh, uh, memories, and try to remember what it was you liked to do the most back in those days, you know, and it'll start bringing you toward, you know, the uh, what you truly wanted then should be what you truly want now, you see. Um, and if not, it's uh, like how that um, old desire of yours, that childhood desire of yours has a role in helping you reach your definite chief aim, your current chief aim in life. If it, if your current chief aim is different, uh, I, I should uh, uh, qualify that because it's also crucial that you take account of the soul urge challenge. Now, I um, uh, like this name better for the challenge. I like soul urge for the challenge, okay? <laughs> Since uh, by simple symbolism, it has to do with the obstacles that limit the expression of the heart's desire. And when I say limit, the best way you can imagine it is like um, if you have a flashlight and if you have a piece of colored gel and you keep putting the different colored gels in front of the flashlight, it colors the light in a different way. In other words, you get a spot that's red on the wall or a spot that's blue on the wall instead of the just plain, you know, uh, very light ivory colored spot or whatever it is, depending on what the color of the wall is, okay? Um, these are the obstacles that limit the expression of the true heart's desire. In other words, uh, you can't get what you don't ask for is the logic behind this concept. And the challenge to the soul urge is a fear, a false idea, or a misunderstanding that closes the mouth of the heart and inhibits the ability to know what you know, what your true desire actually is okay i am um, I, I feel like i've missed my calling in life roy i i think warrior <laughs> warrior monk sounds like a great, a great <laughs> well you would have been a warrior nun <laughs> yeah there you go <laughs> okay so how, how do we find the heart's desire and the soul urge challenge well uh let's put it this way you don't have to go to india and live on the top of a mountain with an old man all right um <laughs> the heart's desire is found, uh, uh, first of all, by uh, uh, creating a list of the vowels in your names. Now, we should uh, always include Y as a vowel. And I'll tell you why. Because, first of all, because Y is always used as a vowel sound or to modify another vowel sound. You know, you never see Y used as a consonant in any anything you know uh, it in places where it looks like it's going to be a consonant it ends up being an e sound you know or an i sound you see what i mean in, in other words this 
this uh, Y is a vowel. It's a vowel that's used conveniently uh, sometimes in order to let you know how to sound that word or how to bring the soul out of the word, okay? The, um, uh, in other words, the numerical values of the vowels are A equals 1, E equals 5, I equals 9, O equals 6, and Y equals 7, all right? And I uh, always found it interesting when I looked at this and saw that none of these vowels have even numbers as a value because the even numbers are numbers that are more stable and generally have two different ways they uh, can go in their lives. They're like pairs of things. Uh, But anyway, we'll go to, uh, for the name Mary James, okay? We sum up one plus seven plus one plus five for Mary. And that equals um, uh, uh, eight plus six, which is equal to 14, and one plus four equals five, okay? When you uh, uh, study the soul urge, it's best to work with the numbers one through nine in the beginning. In other words, we could say that 14 is a karmic number and so on and so forth, but I think the soul urge um, and the uh, heart's desire are so fundamental to a person's uh, character and life that you don't need to go into the uh, fancy explanations of uh, uh, the uh, karmic numbers and so on and so forth. Of course, sometimes we get soul urges that are master numbers, and that's usually significant because uh, it it gives a person a special quality that's uh, way outside the mean. And plus, when we talk about the karmic numbers, these have more to do with daily life as opposed to the master numbers, which have more to do with you know, the inner life, okay, the uh, private life. Now, um, I I just don't like to see beginning students get led astray by all the hoopla around the karmic and master numbers, uh, because that keeps them from thinking in terms of uh, uh, the way these things actually function. You know, karmic and master numbers are pretty new things in the way of transforming numbers into, uh, transforming letters into numbers. So anyway, uh, the soul urge challenge is found by taking the difference between the first and the last vowel, okay? So you always subtract the smaller value from the larger value. If they're the same, the difference should be counted as nine instead of zero. In other words, in Mary's case, we um, have uh, uh, five minus one, you know, um, and um, well, five minus one, that, oh, James, yeah, okay. Uh, We have five minus one. The five is the last vowel, E, And the one is the first vowel, A. So we always subtract the smaller from the larger in order uh, not to be doing algebra. We're doing arithmancy here, not algebra. (laughs) Okay. Algebrancy. I don't know if these (laughs) words are. But um, in in the case above, you know, so um, this is the challenge. Okay. you know, you think of the challenge as being the first minus the last. It's about the difference from how you get from the beginning to uh, the completion of the vowels, you see. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, uh, this is the way the heart's desire is found. So 
Okay. Yeah. So, so can you give us some examples of how to read the heart's desire and the solar's challenge? Well, I could give thorough examples, but <laughs> I'm not sure that we don't have that we have the time. But, um, for instance, if you're trying to find your true heart's desire, you're probably being driven by a need for one of the things associated with the numbers. For instance, in the case of one, leadership, recognition, individuality, these are usually the driving forces behind one, okay? Uh, For two, cooperation, fairness, self-respect, okay? For three, self-expression, influence, creativity of the things that three craves, um, uh, stability, consistency, and management is what four is after, okay? Uh, for five, it's variety, freedom, and adventure. And uh, uh, although I, I'm using these in the context of five wants this, Four wants that when it's the soul urge. I'm not trying to personify these numbers because remember, it's not the numbers. It's the ideas of what the numbers really want, you know, that uh, classify them, okay? It's these things that classify, uh, that make them fall into the category of one number or another. Comfort, balance, and service are all associated with six, all right? Um, knowledge, faith, and trust are all associated with seven. Control, certainty, and results are all associated with eight. Completion, success, and independence are all associated with nine. And, um, you know, we could um, easily explain this uh, uh, a little bit more clearly by saying that, for instance, if you uh, know somebody who's always got a book in their hands or uh, actually goes to church or something like that, uh, and they might uh, mumble and grumble like, well, you know, it's where I met my girlfriend and she likes to go here, so I'm going to go too, you know. <laughs> They're just saying that because it means that there's some kind of deep desire for that mystical experience that uh, um, our religion promises. You see what I mean? And, and trust, too, like a lawyer, for instance, lawyers are one of the categories of people who fall in that seven group, you know, and uh, they have tremendous amounts of knowledge, but their knowledge is based on trust in the principles of the law, in legal precedents, and so on and so forth, in the way the system works. This is a seven thing, uh, as much as religion is a seven thing, and as much as science is a seven thing. That's why so many scientists won't even look at what several others explain is statistics statistical evidence for psychic phenomena and uh, uh, astrology and things like that, not only statistical evidence, but can be explained, you know, in terms of information that we have, um, because, uh, uh, but there are a bunch of others who say, oh, no, 
It's something we don't look at, something we're not interested in. And if we don't believe it, it doesn't exist. That's dogma. (laughs) That's not science. They have faith in what they were taught when they were growing up. You know, <laughs> so so this is the way you can help identify it. You might say, uh, well, you know, I like consistency, but I like to have a lot of freedom. And uh, at the same time, I, I like to go out on adventures, go hiking or mountain climbing or whatever. But at the same time, I want a really stable life with a lot of consistency. You're not having a fight in your soul about four or five. You have to look at your habits. <laughs> you know, a, a person who's more five will do things at random, whereas a person who's like a four will do everything by the book. He will put that clip on his rope by the book when he's climbing, you know? And and uh, uh, so these are the kind of things you have to look at when you're, um, uh, uh, but it's easier when you have numerology because the number will define the characteristics, you see, of the person. It won't control the characteristics of the person, but it defines it so it can be used in our virtual system of uh, handling reality. Now, as far as the solar challenge is concerned, it's about overcoming a fear of something, okay? Uh, In other words, that fear is what clouds the mind. I, I don't know if you ever saw the science fiction story Dune. You know, they've made two versions of it, and there's a new one coming out this December that uh, took from the previews that looks absolutely fabulous. But um, at any rate, they had this thing in there where this boy, his mother was uh, one of the uh, uh, female uh, leaders of uh, their religious science in those days, you know, uh, and um, he had learned from her this, uh, 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 what they call the litany, which is in other words from a prayer, and it was like, I will not fear. Fear is the mind killer, okay? And and uh, that's what I mean by fear here. In other words, you can fear anything. I don't mean being afraid of mice or, or bugs or something. I'm talking about a fear of uh this thing that's most able to cripple your soul urge, okay? And uh, for for instance, with one, it's the fear of being ignored, that nobody's paying attention to you. For two, it's the fear of loneliness, that nobody cares about you, nobody wants to be around you or with you. For three, it's the fear of criticism. You know, three is... Um, well, I'll explain that sometime in the future when we're dealing with this in a more useful context, like describing a person or something. Four is the fear of being limited. In other words, it's four. Uh, a person with a solar challenge is four feels like uh, there's always something blocking them or always, or the walls are closing in on them, or like there's a fence around them that keeps them from moving free, you know? Uh, For five, it's the fear of conformity. The one thing um, a person with a solar challenge of five is afraid of, it's mediocrity. 
they don't want to be like everybody else because there's, you know, and, and even if they have a very conservative uh, uh, heart's desire, you know, like a four heart's desire, if they've got a five, you know, uh, solar challenge, this uh, idea of being like everybody else will usually drive them to open their own business and be successful about it. You see what I mean? They just don't want to do what everybody else does. Okay. Uh, six, it's being unappreciated. The six um, is on the positive side. When the six is on the positive side, the six loves being helpful and doing things for people. But on the negative side, the six hates it when they're unappreciated, when nobody wants them to do anything for them and so on and so forth. You know, when it's like, uh, get out of my face, I'll wash my own dishes, you know, and so on and so forth. This is the fear of, of uh, 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 six when it comes to a solar challenge. The seven is being overcrowded. I've mentioned, I don't know how many times, that seven is the most private of the numbers. Okay, and this is when it turns into a fear. It's a fear of being in crowds. It's a fear of, I forgot what the name is for that, because that is a phobia. But it's just the fear of, of having so many people around you. You don't know, you can't tell how the energy is flowing between the, all of you, you know. Um, the uh, eight is being dependent. A, a person with a solar challenge of eight does not want to be dependent on anyone okay and for the nine it's the fear of failure well you know the only way you can get a nine as a soul urge challenge is that that number actually shows up as zero but we convert it to nine for convenience okay because they basically mean the same thing in this type of context there are times when we use zero in which it doesn't mean the same thing but when we're counting the cycles of numbers and we have uh like say someone's name is um uh uh albert allen and he spins his last name spells his last name a-l-a-n okay um it's like one minus one equals zero we count that as solar challenge nine you know, this person would have a fear of failure that prevents him from, and it's not like these are fears or phobias that are outwardly expressed. Sometimes it takes years of therapy to uncover, you know, that that's what the essential fear is that's standing in their way or causing some kind of a complex of psychic energy or constellation of psychic energy that's making them, you know, do things that they don't want to do or or do things that are driving them nuts, so to speak. But anyway, all these brief definitions require a lot more explanation. Um, and these explanations will be given as we explore the name numbers in depth and as time permits. So I just wanted to give you a, uh, uh, uh overall view of what the soul urge is about. And as a matter of fact, when we go into explaining the personality number and the expression will be explaining all these ideas in more depth because the personality number is sort of the connection between this deep inner soul urge and uh, um, your daily life. 
uh, all the thinking and thoughts. You know, I talk about these thoughts that can cloud up the soul urge and filter it and keep you from being um, able to uh, express and ask for your heart's desire, you see. But all of that goes on in the personality, not in the soul urge itself, you see. Um, in other words, like in Plato's cave, the famous story about how these people lived in the cave and the only thing they were able to see in the world were the shadows on the wall that came from the fire, right? Until somebody went outside and came back and said, hey, wait a minute, there's a whole world out there. And and that was completely against everything they believed in, you know. But in other words, you know, the personality uh, number is that, how do I put it, describes that part of you that interacts with the world at large. And that's going to be the topic of our next uh, discussion. And uh, in other words, this is, the soul urge has to pass through, uh, the heart's desire has to make it through the personality number. And that's the place where the therapists and the self-help experts and all of us who do numerology and astrology and tarot readings and all that kind of stuff, we all work with that personality level because that's something we can touch. The solar is just out there, you know, that's, (laughs) you know, it's too deep. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, I get that. All right. Well, thank you so much, Roy. I always love chatting to you. It's always a very informative chat. Um, what I will say to um, our listeners, I'm going to put some uh, links in the show notes so you can get um, more information and you can follow along and, and um, sort of continue on your numerology learning journey. And I'll also put a link to um, so you can get your free numerology video report in there, too. Okay, well, until next week, thank you so much, Roy, and we'll speak to you then. All right. I'll look forward to it. Thank you for listening to the Numerologist Podcast. If you loved it, make sure you subscribe, and don't forget to check the show notes for an extra special free gift.